you're exactly where you need to be. And you're listening to ADD Comedy with me, Dave Rosowski. Our guest today is Betsy Thomas, and boy does Betsy know comedy. <laughs> uh, she's been behind the score shows that have made you laugh and made you want to hang out with the characters she's helped create. She's a writer, a producer, a director. She was the executive producer and creator of My Boys, which also had uh, Jamie Kaler in it and Mike Bunin in it, two of our guests on ADD Comedy. Oh, they're good. She knows how to cast, doesn't she? She was the executive producer and creator of My Boys. She was the executive producer of Bad Judge. She was also the showrunner. That's what they call the showrunner. And she was the co-executive producer of Guys With Kids and the executive producer of Whitney. All that. And she's delightful. Give this a listen. And um, I think you're really going to like her. I, I really do. We'll just talk, and then you'll guide me. I'll, we'll talk, and then I'll guide you. That's what we're doing now. So we've already started, which is the greatest thing about it all. And as things go on, I will reach over here and, and make adjustments. If okay. suddenly you decide, I'm going to try that screaming character. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> I wanted to tell you right now, I'm not going to be doing the screaming character. I know. You do, do that, you do that for pay, and <laughs> I, you know, I've offered you the liquid, and you've got three liquids there. Which I like, came with. I know. You came with the liquid. <laughs> you brought your own liquid. Uh, no, okay, then we won't. I, I, well, people would be disappointed, but I'll, I'll, I know. Warn people. Okay. I'll warn people. Do you do any, many of these podcasts? No. You've never done I've one? I've done one ever. Who it was it? Eric Zicklin's podcast. Oh, Eric Zicklin. I know. I did it with Adrian. So I've only ever done one. I... Do you want to call Adrian just in case you need him? <laughs> I thought that your lifeline. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Look, I gotta call my husband. <laughs> I, I, I keep David. I don't know what's happening. Uh, Eric Zicklin, how is he? He's good. This was a while ago. It's funny. I was thinking about him this morning. Like, I haven't seen him. I don't think since that podcast. Maybe this will be the last time we see each other for a while. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. It, I don't. You know, he lives in Malibu. Uh, right. So, he, which is ba- the other side of the world. Is he is he a surfer? He is a surfer. And Dottie, his wife, is a very big surfer. But he wasn't a surfer before he met Dottie. No, I think Dottie changed him. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's from New Jersey. I know, right? <laughs> he's got a great story that he told. I don't know if you've ever heard him tell this story about... Oh, he, he used to do the Armando a lot. I know, he's a great Armando. He's just such a great Armando. One would argue, I would say the best other than Armando. I'm going to agree with you, and I'm also going to say that I, I've seen, yes, I would agree with you. He is a great Armando, and he told this story about being, being in an airplane and really having this great conversation with this woman sitting next to him, and suddenly there's this amazing turbulence in the air, and this woman grabs his hand, I think, or something like that, and he's going, you're, you're holding on my hand right now. I'm very uncomfortable about you holding on to my hand, and it was a long trans. Atlantic flight and they did not speak for like the next four hours like that and it was like wow it was just such a it was such one of those human things where you where you look at it and you think wow you just touched me and (laughs) and what I love about Eric also is that's what I like about so many of the people that we know he isn't afraid to say to mention a story that other people would be shameful of or a situation that they'd be like, oh, I look back and then I wish that didn't happen. But he'll he'll just come out and say shit. He he does. He also is one of those people I think things like that happen to. Like that that doesn't happen to me. Someone doesn't grab my hand or or it, it goes into a different direction at least. Mm-hmm. And Eric, that's the kind of thing that happens to him. 
And then he has a lot of thoughts and he has the presence of mind to then retell the story with those thoughts. And none of that happens to me. <laughs> I just, I would, the whole thing would have been, I would have been like, I don't know what I would have done, but it would have been a different direction. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, yes. I, uh, I, you don't fly that much. I do fly a lot and I'm terrified of it. You do fly a lot. And I'm terrified of it. Where do you fly? Well, my family's in the Midwest, in Michigan. Right, right. And Adrian's in Chicago, so we go back there right. twice a year, at least. Mm -hmm. And I love to travel. So I have the thing where I love to travel, I hate to fly, necessary evil, so I take drugs. So you sleep throughout the flight? Or you just Well, like, now oh. I have Owen, now I have a seven-year-old, so I can't. Right. I used to. I had a great system. Two Xanax, glass of wine, pass out during takeoff. Wake up a destination, fresh as a daisy. Wow. Happy as a clam. Right. Then I had a baby, and I couldn't do that anymore because you're flying with a baby. A, you can't, especially when you're breastfeeding, you can't put all that crap in your system. And then B, you, like, got to deal with this person. Right. Right. Now he's, so he's relatively, he's a very good flyer, and now he's relatively self-sufficient that if it's just he and I flying, I can do, like, half his annex. And a glass of wine, and be fine. And he's he's watching. He's playing on iPad. He doesn't give a shit what I'm doing. Who's there. I talking to that said the iPad is the greatest thing to, to come to flying since wings? It's the greatest <coughs> thing. I was just talking to somebody too. I wonder if it was that Super Bowl party we were at because somebody was just saying the same thing to me that it, it's it's a life changer. And the other thing that's a life changer when you have kids is they recently changed the rule where you don't have to turn off the iPad. Right. That is gigantic. Right. Because you get to start out going, here. And then, and you don't have to. And you don't, right. You don't have to go, you don't have to explain to a child, no, you can't turn it on now. We can't have it on now. Right. I was on a plane where a, a girl was screaming, I want the iPad. Get me the iPad. I want this iPad. And I, I have an iPad. And I'm like, I'm going to give that child this iPad. <laughs> You give that goddamn child the iPad. Would you fucking give the kid the iPad? There's no, you're not in a bubble. You're not in your car. You're not at your house. You're not in an apartment. Can you for a moment shut your child up by having shiny objects that swirl and twirl around and have colors? Why was the parent not doing that? You got me. But I mean, is it a, I'm trying to parent, because look, there's a temptation that one has of I gotta I have to think about being a good parent occasionally like occasionally I have to discipline my child and think about what's right but that is not the time for it when other people are involved clearly and I also gotta say that when you I, the question I thought you were gonna ask was maybe was do you think maybe that child had some kind of disease and wasn't allowed to have eye? Can you side with the parents for once? But I'm so glad <laughs> it didn't go in that direction. The you anti iPad know. disease? Well, yeah, you could be allergic to an iPad. I don't know. I'm no I'm no I'm not a doctor all the time. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I And I would even question your part time doctor. Yeah, I would too. I'm gonna be the first one to go, I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> Clearly, you should not be. No, I don't know how I became a doctor. I'm quite sure I shouldn't be a doctor. I shouldn't be a doctor at all. Uh, I don't. I know one. I know a woman that's a doctor at. Um, oh my God, my friend. Uh, my friend uh, Sharon is a doctor at Cook County. Oh. In Chicago. In Chicago. Yeah, County, that's Ho a... County Hospital. 
Oh, it's a horrible place. Horrible place. Horrible place. Have you ever been there? No, but I watched ER. Oh, well, then it, you watch the documentary. <laughs> it's practically a documentary. Yeah, it uh, looks really bad on ER. <laughs> it does. It's as if they're trying to make it more dramatic than it actually is. I know, but I don't think they have to. I think it's supposed to be really bad. <laughs> I think then they should just have a, a documentary crew come in instead of hiring a bunch of writers. No offense to you know you and well, your writers. Well, in my, in my kin, it's fine. Have you ever have you ever written for an episodic? Oh yeah. What did you write for an episodic? Well, I mean, whenever you're running a show, you're writing for it. Well, I'm sorry. So you had an hour. Wait, what was an hour? Oh, you mean an hour long as opposed an hour to half? That's what I mean. Oh, an hour long. I'm sorry. I wrote I on my about... so-called life. Right. For a minute. Mm-hmm. For a minute, and then that because it was only on a minute, and that's as long as they would have. But in it only be on in it only being on a minute, it it had like it sticks in my head. It had a huge impact. Right. I know, and it's 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 funny because I wrote one episode and that was it, and even that episode, Winnie Holzman rewrote me significantly, and. Uh, I still, though, it's a really sexy credit that I get to say, hey, I worked on my so-called life, and people go, oh, even though it was on for... Was it, a, it was two seasons, at least. I feel like it came on mid-season, and then, I feel like it was like mid-season, and they did 13 the next, I mean, this is something I should know, but I don't. But right. I don't think they did that many episodes. Why did it have such an impact? I don't know. Because it, But look at the cast. Right, that's probably it. The Claire cast? Danes right. and Jared... Leto and well, there's other great actors in it, but obviously but you can stop there. Um, my friend Tom Irwin. Yeah, right, Tom Irwin. He was in it, but they it, it was it's like a, a Steppenwolf guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. It had such an impact. People really touched people's lives, and then it rerun on MTV, and I think it really touched kids, kids, kids today. Yeah, I, it touched the kids' lives. You mm-hmm. know, I remember when I met Adrian. And his brother found out I wrote on my so-called life, and it really was like that was huge street cred because he had loved that show. Mm-hmm. What, is, what, would, what, did, what were you watching growing up? I watched. Wait, I want to go back. I'm going to stop there. Why is it that you think that you do half hours because they just that that's your sensibility? Yeah, I don't think I can. T- I don't. I can't take things seriously enough to do a one hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe one day I have written. I've, I wrote a one hour pilot once. But I like the jokes. I like telling jokes. I like the comedy of it. I don't, I, I, my brain doesn't go to like gigantic plot twists. Right. I don't think about like life and death stakes. Right. It's not where I prefer to live creatively. So that is not, I know lots of people that do that and I just, that's not my thing. Lots of people that do the hour long. Yeah. Uh I mean, and they like that and I think they're very good at it. And I watch hour long, I love them. And I watch, Anything from House of Cards to Blacklist or, and I just, I can't, I can't believe that I'm like, I just, my brain doesn't go there. I go along with it. I love watching them. My brain does not do that in terms of creating. Right. I, I, I can't, I think about like, what is the funny situation? That's what I think too. And yet I always think, can we have a funny situation in one of these hour long things? Is that okay? Can we have that? So there's something funny. You can. Right. And you know, they used to. That's what I thought too. But they don't do that anymore. Right. And. They do on cable. They do on cable. cable. They do on cable. I look at things like, and and this is a bad example, David Milch's, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Deadwood? Deadwood. I loved Deadwood. I loved it so much. I loved it so much. And it was was one of these things where where when it went off the air, same thing with Rome. 
on HBO too. When it went off the air, I was thinking, how do you just go off the air? It's like it's like a friend of yours was like on a train, and then they never got to their destination. And you're like, what happened to Cleo? Cleo got on the train, and everybody's like, oh, that's okay. It's like, no, that's not okay. Well, it's also like this whole world doesn't. I just want to point out. Oh, you do. I just used the name Cleo. You I did. I know. Good, I, I, I thought saw, it was a good name. It is. I. It actually stunned me a little. Yeah. Well, do you I'm know not, a Cleo? No, I don't know a Cleo. But I've been. You know, we do so much. I feel like we do so much comedy and improv and all that stuff that I'm not going to use the name Tina anymore. And <laughs> Carl is not working. Hasn't worked for years. <laughs> I, everybody used to be Tina. I remember, I've heard you say Carl. Yeah, Carl, I did it. When I was in Second City, I had a, a show that ran for, I don't know, six months on main stage. And I didn't realize that I named myself Carl twice. Two different characters named Carl. And in my mind, one was C and one was K. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't realize that I was Carl in both those scenes. Uh, yes, I've been Carl. Uh, but Cleo, I just want to point out Cleo. Cleo's a different name. I'm having that thing where when you blow your nose or you're wiping your nose, yeah. I'm thinking you're doing it passive-aggressively because I have something that I need to clear up of my nose. Let's just say maybe you do. Well, but what would be great is if you said I actually do or mm, I didn't. You don't. Okay. You don't. Maybe you do. Maybe I'm just saying you don't. So it's a cliffhanger. Like, oh, no, i got to have you back. Um, <laughs> I have a friend. I have a friend. Oh, this is totally 80, dude. I love it. I have a friend who has nostrils that are, that are kind of wide, and there's always something inside there, and I'm... Constantly telling her or thinking, just do something with that. Would you look at not you, this woman that I know. Right, but do you tell her or do you? Sometimes think it's- I tell her. Sometimes I'll go. Mm. You know who has it a lot? I'm going to say it. I'm just going to say it. And this is a different person I was thinking of. D Ryan. Oh. D Ryan will have something in her nose, and I'll go. D, come on. <laughs> well, it's not her fault. She doesn't. It's not like she's purposely not removing it. Well, I can't be the only one that's going. D, come on. Because if a bunch of people go, you got something, maybe, maybe it's a syndrome. Maybe you have something. Maybe there's something going on. I think my, that's, you know, my kid doesn't wipe his face. And I think it's now, I've grown to think maybe he doesn't have enough nerve endings. Oh, maybe he doesn't realize that there's, there's something on his face. Because it's impossible for me to believe that he can have that much shit on his face at all times and not do anything about it. <laughs> or he's one of these people that's like, oh, do I? I guess. So it doesn't bother him, Right. Yeah, but like, how do you not feel it? You well, the thing is, maybe he feels it, and it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Where we go? Okay, I'm wearing a shirt. If I want to go crazy, I can go. Oh, that feel of shirt, but we kind of ignore the feel of shirt. <laughs> and maybe your son has something on his face. He's like, yeah, it's there, but you know, it's just a thing. I, I like the idea that when you go crazy, feel of shirt is one of those things that you gain. Okay. Like, okay. <laughs> You can't you feel of shirt, but you could. But you know, when you get a little hair, it's just a little hair, and you go, "What's happening?" You know, what's happening? But you you finally feel it, and then and then after a while, you're going, "Am I still feeling it? Do I still feel that?" That's the way I look at things. There was a woman. Did you ever read, hear, or read Jill Bolte Taylor, who wrote My Stroke of Insight? She's this. She was a neuroanatomist, and she had. Uh, I'm just going to cut to the chase. Spoiler alert: She had a stroke. And while in the middle of the stroke, she realized she's having a stroke. So she was noticing the things that she doesn't normally notice, but because her brain was becoming washed in blood, um, like all, everything took on a different significance. Like, while she's having the stroke, she's going, she didn't, re- she didn't put it together yet. So she's in the middle of going, okay, this is it. I got this horrible headache. I'm going to take a shower and just, you know, it's morning, I take a shower. She gets in the shower and the water pressure is just 
killing her because she forgot what it felt like and now she's she didn't know what it felt like anymore and now it's hitting her in a way it's like what the fuck is going on you're a doctor I am a part-time doctor. Okay. I am a doctor. Is that what I ha- use words like neuroanatomist as if I say it all the time. We we are so sure you are a doctor. Is that what happens in the stroke? Your, I was ba- I did hear the rest of what you said, but what I really was focused on is sure. does your brain get bathed in blood? That's what happens. Is 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 that there's um, something happens and part of your brain it gets washed and gets well. That's what happened to her. You know uh, that that blood was drowning part of her brain. And getting into all that, and the interesting thing about this story, it's a TED talk, and it's it's probably one of the top five TED talks. Um, is uh, she totally lost her personality, and she had to come. She still had her name, but she had to discover who this new person was, not based upon who the old person was, but based upon the present situation. Wow, that's really intense. It's really intense because if you think about it, we tolerate people because we've tolerated these people. For example, we tolerate people because we've tolerated those people. When you have a stroke and you're starting all over again, you go, oh no, this isn't, I was a friend of theirs? This relationship doesn't feel right. Well, yeah, and what about the husband and the... She, I never mentioned the husband. There's a, there was a mother and her mother was unbelievably awesome. I mean, like, so helpful to go, I'm taking, so there's this, I'm going to tell the story that, that she was interviewed on Terry, on Fresh Air, so I'm quoting other shows, but um, she's at, she was a neuroanatomist at Harvard. She goes into the, the stroke ward at the hospital where she would, she knows everybody there because it, it deals with brains. So they're all talking about this woman named Rusty who's going to come over and visit Jill. Rusty's going to come over and visit Jill. Rusty and people are going. Oh, Rusty's here. Rusty, Rusty's here. And the the uh, and Jill's in bed and she's going. All these people are talking about Rusty. And this woman comes in and she she walks up to Jill and she looks in and she lifts up the sheets and she crawls into bed with Jill. Rusty is her mom. She didn't recognize who her mom was. And her mom did this. I don't care how anything worked up to this point. How other people deal with stroke victims, but I am taking care of you. And, and, and what she noticed was if, if Jill would have a kinesthetic response to somebody, a negative kinesthetic response to somebody, like, like, like sit up or stand, or sit up or get up or her eyes dart about, when somebody entered the room, that person was not allowed in the room anymore. Whoa! And if you think about it, when something happens like that, you go, when, when you have a realization of that person's toxic to me, and that was part of the story is, it, that's what I, one of the things that I got out of it was, if something is toxic to you, you have an opportunity to not have it in your life anymore. Right. You don't need to have a stroke. My stroke of insight is what it's called. No, that was me. That was okay. mine. But you, you know what I mean? Yeah, that, yeah, you do. I mean, I hear what you're saying. You're right. But, but isn't also part of our journey as human beings, this is not slagging her, this lady and her stroke and her mother at all, but isn't part of our journey as human beings having to figure out how to be with people, look, people that we don't like, that we do think are toxic, to negotiate those relationships? Because let's face it, there are all kinds of toxic people you're forced to deal with because they, you know, 
run networks and <laughs> <laughs> I understand that I get that too but we get to also not say we get to pick and choose who those people are you know I a lot of those people are placed on this earth for us to not to figure out but just to accept yes and we're here to accept that and those people if you want to look at it in a way they're here to teach us some awesome lessons Right. They're really here to teach some lessons. But I'm going to say, I'm going to pick this teacher and not that teacher. Yeah, I think that's you right. Know? Uh, so I totally agree with you. And I'm not saying that she was, that Rusty was shielding Jill from everybody. But I think that there are certain things where, you know, there's tolerance and then there's abuse. There's no, tolerance that's and then for there's sure victimhood. true. There's victimhood. And I think, I, I hear a lot of people go, I just don't, we've been friends for so long, but we fight all the time. It's like, you know what? Fuck that person. Well, yeah. Although it's interesting. Are you a person, this really is ADD. Mm -hmm. I'm now onto this, but I'm really curious. Where do you, you I, okay, I'll just do my thing. I have a shitload of friends mm -hmm. for my whole life. Mm -hmm. I've just not had those falling outs. We don't speak anymore. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that I actually think I only have one person that I ever had that about. And even that person I now talk to again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now maybe people are not talking to me. I don't know. But no one I'm seeking. And there I know other people that have many people like that in their lives. Where they have like six, seven, eight people that they had falling outs with. Like friends they no longer speak to kind of thing. And I always think it's interesting that it's like I have so little of that. Somebody else does. And I wonder what is that? Is that because I have had a better toxin filter along the way? Is it because I, I don't know. I just thought it was, I just think it's interesting. It seems like a person who has, it, you are one or the other. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, There are also yes, people yes. that wipe out their past as they go along. Mm -hmm. That they only kind of have a present. Do you have people, do you have family members that you don't talk to? No. And you, you but also you have a lot of siblings. Seven you? brothers and you have sisters. Seven brothers and sisters. That has to be, that's got to be a guiding principle because you, in that, you have to get along with these people because you, and, and you've, you're conditioned to get along, to go along. Yeah. Do you think that has, that must have something. Well, but then again, but I have a brother. Some of them don't talk to each other. What's that? But some of them don't talk to okay. each other. Uh, I have a brother and a sister. That doesn't work for me because I, I don't have many I, most I have one person in the world that I don't talk to and there's one person in the world that I have that I don't talk to that's and very little that's very few yes and yes it, if there was if there was any less it would be none <laughs> so it's just the number that makes it count um, <laughs> <laughs> so what we so and that and that's because that's I found that to be a very toxic um, girlfriend relationship right that I went through that I was like so it was five months of fun, five months of toxicity and it was a great lesson to me where I go oh I'm taking this oh I keep taking this oh I keep taking this and then suddenly I went oh no no this is no 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 but it was a great lesson but I only have one. I only have one. But here's another thing. I remember sitting at a table with um, Nia Vardellis and Ian Gomez and all those people, Renee Albert and all, and Brian Bondell, and it was somebody's birthday. And we were at a restaurant, and uh, I think uh, Rose was there, and John Madden were there, and, and, and Susie Nakamura. And we're sitting at this table of great people, and people are going, no, there are a lot of people that, aren't, that don't talk to me. There's some people on this earth that really hate me. I'm going, I don't think anybody hates me. And driving home, I'm going, 
I was the only person at the table divorced. Wow. So I'm sure that there is somebody that hates me. <laughs> I was the only person that, everybody else had a very strong relationship. Like, no, I could think of a couple of people. Not my wife, but certainly her sisters. I, I guess that's possible. That's what I'm saying. There may be people that don't like me. Mm-hmm. But you don't dwell on that. Well, I don't know. Would, if you knew. I don't know if they If you don't knew, like would that me. bother you? Would you, try to, would you try to mend that? Well, I had an ex-husband. I guess now, that, would you say that? I was like, oh, I guess I forgot about him. I don't really talk to him, but I don't talk to him in a, in a like, we're not speaking to each other at all. I would love to talk to him, but we just, we, we married other people and had kids and our lives don't cross. If we ran into each other at the supermarket, I'm sure it would be fine and delightful. I would love to run into my wife, but she lives in North Carolina now. But it was one of the things where I was like, and I don't, I was married for 14 years. Wow. Yeah, I was married for 14 years. And so... I didn't know this about you. Yeah, I was married 14 years, and we had a house in Silver Lake, a beautiful house in Silver Lake, and uh, and uh, I was very much a part. Oh, know? I did know this about yeah. you. Yeah. Did you... Maybe I thought you were there. I knew this about you. Yeah. So... so I just forgot it. Yeah. Well, because I'm this guy in this place. This is my place, and I don't have a wife. I do have a girlfriend who I adore. But the um, the idea of... I would love to talk to her. There are times where I go, oh, um, I was in Japan, and Katie lived in Japan for a year. And I, I was thinking, oh, I could talk to Katie about Japan, but we're divorced, so we don't want to talk that way. Um, I was just recently back in London, and Katie and I went to London, and it's like, oh, and it's, no. You know, all these places that I've gone to, yeah. we went to Dublin. All these places we went to, you know, with all the Second City alone, there was a Murphy's Cat Lab Festival. And Katie and I went there together, and I was just in Dublin. And um, I was in Kilkenny, but uh, I would I've love to talk there. to her. I've been to Kilkenny. It's very nice there. I was there with Mike Coleman and Neil What Flynn. were you doing? Just having fun. I just had, a, uh, Pete Holney was just on the show. On oh, the I adore him. Me too. And Pete said... I was talking about I go to London. I, I, I travel around the world, and this is what I do. I travel around the world, and I teach, and when I'm home, I do these podcasts. But uh, I went to Dublin, and he said, we, he said, beer shark mice would love to go to Ireland. And I went, I think I can help that, make that happen. Because oh, all those guys so are great. Irish. Yeah. Are you Irish? No, just a little bit. Okay. All those guys are Irish. All those guys... But wait, will it get me a trip to Ireland if I am Irish? Sure, why not? Then, I, then yes, I'm yeah. Irish. Okay, good. Right, right, right. I love Ireland. I love the people there. I do too. I'm going back again. I went with the April. Coleman's and with Flynn. And uh, a group of us, I rented a house. It was great. This was in, years ago, pre-kid. What city? In Kilkenny? We were near Kilkenny. We were in Bansha, which is a little town... Did you have you been? No, to but Bancha? I love the little town. When you talk about the little town, it's like I can imagine what that is. And we rented this incredible house that I got in some auction, and it was unbelievable. And we had the best time. Look at the people that you're with: Mike Coleman, it was crazy. Neil Flynn, I know, Betty Cahill, yes, too. and Adrian Wenner. Adrian Wenner, Mike O'Hara was there. God. And our friend Mark Stegman, who's a writer, and his wife Kit Pongetti. Do you know Kit? Yes, I know Kit. That's I who. Love that Kit. was our trip, and it was awesome. Who's in a duo with Kit? Someone's in Jean Villepique. Jean Villepique. That's it. That's it. Oh, Kit was one of my favorite uh, students. Yeah, she's awesome. She is awesome. Kit Pongetti. Come on now. I know. It's a great name. It's like she could have a kid named Cleo Pongetti. Cleo Pongetti. She has a, well, she could, except for she married Mark Stegman, so their kid is Stegman is the last name. Oh, okay. Well, Cleo Stegman. And it's Jean Stegman. 
Gene Stegman. They have one, and it's his name is Gene. Gene Stegman. Yeah. Gene, Gene Stegman. Stegman. It's good. Yeah, it's good. He's really cute. But anyway, uh, I'd like to go to Ireland. Back to Ireland, I would like to go. So let me know about that trip. I'm in. I just want to say this also. Did you ever stop laughing? I no. Mean, what a gathering of awesome humans. And every night, this is what we would do, which again, we look back and like, oh my God, these are just days we don't have anymore because of the kid. But we stayed in this house and every day we'd run around to do whatever we did. We'd go to Blarney, we'd go to where, we'd do our little trips and sometimes we all went together, sometimes we separated and one group went here, one group. And then we would come back, end up in the house at night with whiskey and beer a-flowing and cigarettes for some of us and just whatever happened. So it was, guitars were brought out and there were musicals put on. There was crazy card games. There was just, it was, we did not stop laughing the entire time. And we had, we, I'm now remembering, one day the guys all decided to do something, like go golfing. And I'm a golfer, but I decided to stay with the girls because they were going horseback riding. And Flynn doesn't play golf, and he wanted to stay with the girls. So it was Flynn, Kit, Betty, and me. And the four of us, and Flynn was one of the girls, and the four of us ran around, Mm -hmm. and we ended up going to this, I don't even remember, but it was a place to have brunch, but it was supposed to have a view, and I can't even tell you the specifics, but all that matters is what really struck us is it reminded us of the mansion in Sound of Music. Yes. So right there... Because, you know, Neil Flynn is a big musical theater guy. Yeah, he, he loves is. the musicals. He, he's, I mean, that guy, you look at him, you go, hey, he's just a guy, but nope. Oh, no, he loves the musicals. Yep. We broke into full song and dance of the in- many, many musical numbers from Sound of Music. Uh-huh. Right there and then in front of crowds of people, it was just, we could not stop laughing. I love our friends so much. I know. I just love them so much. And, you know, going back to the idea of, of, of uh, not having friends or shutting somebody out. Like, again, I got to keep thinking, do I have somebody like that other than this one person? And I don't think I do, but they're so inspiring. And that, the Super Bowl party mm-hmm. where, where you were, did you look around at the people that I were know. there? I know. Don't you also find, I love age for not a lot of reasons, but I'm going to say the one I do like is you look around at all the people that are there and you're like, Holy shit, I've known these people a long time. How long have you been out here? 20, fuck, four, five, almost 24 years. Yeah, this is my 20th anniversary out here. 24 years I've been out here. Yeah. Yeah, and my friends are, and I have, I had a friend over the week came to visit from Portland, my friend Jeff. Our friend Brendan, do you know Brendan Smith? He's living in our guest house right now. Oh, he's a, he's a writer. Yeah. Yeah. And I went to college with him, and he's mm-hmm. living in our guest house because mm-hmm. he's between places. Jeff came in where I also went to college with. And you're sitting there with people. You're like, I have known you for almost 30 years. Right. We have all been friends. And here we are today. And that's that Super Bowl party. Like, looking around, all these people that I've known for a long time. God knows you've known longer. Right. I love that about getting older. I do, too. And I also love that we're going to go back to what we were talking about earlier. I look at people's success and I think, God damn good for you. God damn it good for you. I may never watch the show that you're on, but I'm so happy. Oh, yeah. I, I actively don't watch the shows they're on. I've never seen Cougar Town. I've never, ever I've never seen, seen it once. No, that's not true. No. I've seen, like, t- twice. I, most of the shows that I see, I only, uh, I'm going to say, most of the shows that I see, I don't watch. And what I mean by that is they're on the airplane, and I don't see, I, right. like, I'll see them, but I won't watch them. 
And so I'll go, oh, I know that person. Oh, I know that person. I've never seen the Goldbergs with Garland, just an example. Well, I like that show. I actually do watch that show. Yeah. And I forgot he was on it. Oh, really? I almost said to him, so what are you doing now, Jeff? (laughs) And I think it's because I don't connect those two things. And I watch the Goldbergs. I've seen conservatively 18 episodes of the Goldbergs. Got it. And I think I just, I go into that world and I watch that world and then I see Jeff at a party and he's Jeff. Yes, no, I totally understand. And I'm very simple-minded that way. I think that that's really important too because we're, you're also looking at these people not as what it is that they're doing but who it is that they are. You know, not the color of their skin but the content of their character. You know, who it is that they are. And I, and I, I see, I went to dinner the other day with, with, uh, with uh, Nia and, uh, and Susie and Blondell and Ian and, and Laura and I and I'm looking, going, and we are laughing, and we talked about the industry, but that wasn't what we were there for. We were there to laugh. Right. I don't, and I think when you're here younger, it really is a major part of your life. But as you get older, you go, we're all living, man. Well, when you're younger, you're not sure what's going to happen to you. So you come out here, and you're not sure what's going to happen to you, and you're afraid of what's going to happen. Am I going to make it? Am I not going to make it? Am I ever going to really do this thing that I want to do? How is this whole thing that I have all, I have desire, but I don't know how that's going to work out. Right. Am I going to be sent home packing? <laughs> I'd have to go back home with your bag and your tail between your legs. Yeah. Go, oh. or, am I, or am I going to hit the lottery? Like, there's a very thrilling aspect to that. Right. That, it, that it can make people insane and do things that are not very good in terms of, like, behavior as a human being. Got it. You know, they can do, it can make people insidious and awful. Like, that is very, that is an insecurity and a big question mark that I think takes a lot of fortitude to deal with and trust. Mm -hmm. And trust that your path is your path, and as long as you are true to who you are, and you are, and you are open to experiences, and you are present to what's going on, your path will make its way. Because my path was totally not linear and unplanned, and whenever I talk to the young people, well, not that they're dying to talk to me, but occasionally they ask me. Um, I, I, I tell them, you can't know, and that's good. And all you can do, and I, my path was like, I didn't come out here going like, I came out here a little bit like, I'm, I want to direct movies. And then I ended up doing a lot of other things, and now here I am directing television. Right. And it's a funny little weird circuitous path, and... I'm not even sure directing television is really what I want to do. Like, I love show running. I love doing other things, too. So I just think that you, that that is a, a great thing of age is we get to now go, okay, we turned out okay. Right. We know who we are. <laughs> right. And a major part of that whole thing was, it's what you're saying, the moment that you could tell somebody, oh, that expectation that you have, uh, don't. Because whatever it is that you think that it is that you're going to do, you're probably not going to do it. And you can grieve it. If you want, or you can go, I'm where I am right now. Yeah. And the grieving process of something that wasn't even alive ever to begin with is such a waste of time. No, that's true. You know, my friend, I'm working with this woman, Asim Batra, who's a very funny writer right now. She's not a writer, a funny writer right now. She's always a funny writer. Uh-huh. I'm just working with her right now. And uh, she said to me, and this is going to be me tooting my own horn, but her thing she was saying to me, she's like, you are the most normal talented person I know. Mm-hmm. You were the least crazy talented person I know. And I said, I think it's because I don't, I honestly, if this all went away, I would be okay with it. You know what? That's such a major part of it too. Uh, I, I totally understand that. If, if When I was at Second City, I kept thinking, 
if when I was in training center, and I'm going back to 84, 85, not years, but the years 80, <laughs> 84, not the year 84, but 1984. I gotta be clear, because a lot of people are confused. Um, <laughs> when I say the year 84, I'm talking 1984, okay? Uh, was, so let's yeah. just clarify that. Um, that if it all ended when it, if it, if it, if the training center, my experience in the training center ended at the third year of the training, or second year of the training center, I'd go, great. If it ended when I was in a touring company, great. If it all ended then, I'd be fine. All the little theaters that I played at Second City and then on main stage, was like, you know what? I never wanted to do anything other than what it was that I was doing when I was doing it. And I didn't have that expectation. Right. Uh, other than, no, I didn't have an expectation. Because, and then if you don't have that expectation, you don't have to mourn a, 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 a loss that you didn't really have. Yeah, I think it's a, it's tricky though because I think it's also you got to have goal. It's like there's a there's a, it's hard to define. And this is not funny at all. What I'm about to say. So I want to say this is the part of the podcast that's not funny. We have a an app that we run this through that makes it funny later. Oh great! You may want to use it on some of the television shows you're running. I may. I okay, do great. want to I'll use talk it. To you later. I'd like. To. It's it's one of the more expensive apps. It's two ninety nine. Oh, you know what? I okay. All right. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, as soon as I remember my password, I'll try to. <laughs> I'll get that going. Uh, I, I, no, but I was, this, I think that the goal, there's a, there's a fine line between having goals, which I think are important, particularly in getting ahead in this business, like setting goals and wanting to achieve and for losing sight of, of working on your craft. You know, that, that like people set goals and so they stop being in the present because they're so worried about becoming that they're not in where they are, which is what you're saying, you're always in where you are, which I think is amazing. And I think that is, that there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a juggle you have to do between both things, because I also know other people that are just really happy with where they are, and then they sort of are like, and you go, well, what, what do you wanna, where do you wanna, where do you wanna go? And I think that's another piece of it, that sometimes, at least for me, I'll just speak for me, like, I can find myself, I feel like having goals or having like, something that I'm looking towards, even if it's not concrete. I even think if it's like, you know, it's, it's a general, I just really want my own show. But whatever you know that what? means. But that is so important for it to not be concrete, for it to be fluid. Yes, fluid. Because if it's concrete, then it has to be that thing. Mm-hmm. It's got to be a show that has to be, as opposed to, I want my own show. Right. And, and because that, that, I, oh, here's a word, that you can manifest. Right. You can manifest your own show. But I don't know that you can manifest your own show that has to be the thing that you think it is. Right. Now, the people that, that you ask and you go, uh, what, do you, what, what, do you, what do you want to do? You said it in a way. I don't know if you said what do you want to do, but it's, it's that what do you want to do? So what do you want to do? If somebody asks me what do I want to do, I have no answer for that. I, I don't have an answer to that. Right. I'm already doing it. Right. And whatever it is that I want to do... I'll go, oh, that's an interesting thing to do. But right now, what do I want to do? I don't, I don't know what that answer is. And, and, and it's not because I feel lost. It's because I've, I have found the now. Yeah, and I think that that's so great. And I think it's true. So like I see with the, again, with the young people, but like the a- ambition is very dangerous. And people will say, well, I, you know, my friends might go, you're ambitious. And that's a, I, I, I am in that I want, I want it. 
and you know, I have a drive, mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't, I don't, I think ambition is kind of an ugly word. In a it's, way. it's interesting because there's a phrase that I use a lot when it comes to improvisation, uh, to teaching and directing, and the phrase is this, replace ambition with gratefulness. Mm -hmm. The idea that, um, be grateful for what it is that you have, because your ambition doesn't keep you in the moment. What you think the scene is going to end, how you think the scene is going to end, how you want the scene to end, where you think your career is going to go, how you want your career to go, doesn't keep you here because the moment that you say it needs to be that, you've taken yourself out of being here right now. Well, you are sort of a doctor. I just want to say right now, you're sort of a doctor. I am sort of a doctor. I feel like you're kind of a therapist right now in a yes. good way. Yes. No, I, I, I had a phone call the other day from a student going back to jealousy, and I mentioned it on a podcast, I think, with Holmey, that a student called me up and said, um, I'm a drummer, and I saw the, the Oscars, and they're drumming, they had two drummers drumming the way that I'm drumming, and I'm wondering, where's mine? And I went, okay, let's talk about this. I have not spoken to that student in five years, and he phones me up out of the blue, because he was like, who can I talk to about this? Because... That's what you, but I'm saying you had a very, you have a very good, what did you say? Um, I said, uh, I, I let people talk and then I listen to the thing that stands out to me, the shiny object that stands out to me that they don't know that they've said. And then I go, you realize you just said this. And what he ended up, I just let them talk because there's going to be something in there that is going to reveal it, that they have to uncork their, you know, the top of the wine, you know, they have to uncork it and right. then they, we have to let it flow and sit and I've got to watch, I'm going to listen to what they're saying. And what he ended up saying was, he, he ended up saying this, and I've got some projects that I'd love to do and I'm doing the projects right now, but I was like, well, okay, I let him finish that thought and I go, let's go back to that project. And it ended up this, he didn't want to audition anymore. Mm. He wanted to do this project and the project was his one-person show. And I said, how, how much into it are you? He goes, I don't know. I've got a character. I've got some music. I've got some monologues. And I went, okay. So whenever you think about those guys, think about you. Whenever you look at that, that's not who you are. The guy in the mirror, that's who you are. Right. This is, uh, it's interesting. It's fascinating. We do, it's the compare and despair. I mean, why we do that? I hate when I fall my find myself falling into that is always when I'm like, oh, because that is just, I'm not that, that is always when I feel the weakest and ugliest and I'm like, oh, I need to get out of town. And that's where I go, I got to get out of town. Like, if I'm feeling that way, I got to get out of here. You know what's interesting is what you said. You said, which is, I'm going to go back to this. You said, when I find myself falling into it, the great thing is you found yourself falling into it and then you stop falling into it. Mm-hmm. Because the realization of the moment, if you miss the moment and you realize you missed the moment, you, you've suddenly got back into the moment. And that's what you did. You found that that's not who it is that you are because you've stopped yourself. Oh, yeah. But it's funny. You know, I was thinking when you're talking about improvising, I've never really been an improviser mm -hmm. by trade or anything else. And, you know, I am a, a, a lover you are of an improviser. You and are many. married to one of the greatest improvisers. He fucking Adrian Wenner kills me. He kills me. And whenever I have an opportunity, he is one of my favorite people. I, this is a big thing to say. My favorite people to watch. Oh, that's really nice to say. Oh my god. I, I, and he uh, will love to hear that. And he's an amazing improviser. And I love 
you and many other great improvisers, and I'm a fan of. I've seen enough Armando shows that I should I should have my I should I should win a medal. I feel like I've seen more Armando shows than anyone on the planet. Uh-huh. Um, yet I don't. I'm not an improviser, and I've tried it, and I try it, and I like I love the play of it, but I realize I'm too much of a control freak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of the ways that you talk now, and I mean, listen, I'm like. So right, and I'm like, oh, and that's the thing about being a writer, is I just have more, I need that more level of control. I don't feel as comfortable being out there with, I, I'm comfortable with my ass hanging in the wind, but not in that way. Got it. Got it. And it's Got interesting. It. It's the same feeling I have when I'm in surgery, part-time. Right. Where I go, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Because <laughs> um, I'm a... But then you remember. And then I remember. And then I go, okay, great. This patient needs you to survive. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So and snap out of it. But, but that's a collaborative effort. There's a lot of people there who I'm like, you know, what's going on? But anyway, uh, <laughs> I also think, though, that there's a level of, when you're writing, there's a level of surrender to the unknown and, and you channeling through... Uh, you know, you being you being a conduit to what the character is saying, what the characters can say. You know, there's a rigidity, but there's also a, there's also a fluidity too. Oh yeah, but it's oh yeah, but it's still safe in that you're not you don't have to face the immediate response of an audience. Right, right. That is interesting to me too because when you are, it's interesting because when you're in the writer's room or working with these awesome people that are, you're, you're killing it. Right, and you're, that, yeah. And you're killing it and, uh, and say that it's, uh, uh, and then you have a live audience, right? Mm-hmm. You have a live audience and you hear the laughs. That's the last time you're going to hear anybody laugh at that. You yeah. know what I mean? And be live. Because when you watch the show later, you're never going to hear it again. Do you know right. what I mean? Yes. And, I do. And so what I think, one of the great things about being live is, being on stage and improvising is, that, I get that laugh. That, I get to hear that laugh. Because if I'm writing something and then I'm going to put it online, I don't get to hear that laugh. No, I you don't to ever get to live. hear it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. And I don't, and like, I just worked in a single cam show, which of course you didn't have any of that. And so you don't, you only hear it in the room when you pitch it. Right, that's what I mean. Yeah, and that's the only time. And, and that's, it's funny, I'm okay with that. Like I, 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 there is, it's super rewarding in a live when you're shooting a, a multicam, you've got the audience there. When you put in a joke, you run in a joke and you get, it gets a huge laugh. It's so rewarding. It's great. But I, it, it it's funny. I, I don't, I, I think that's, we're getting into where we're different. It's like, I, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't need it in that same way. Get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. And I don't mean I mean to be like you need it, but I don't have that same relationship to it. Well, my in in a way it's a reward, and in a way it's also feeding me. And you get fed in a different way to continue. You know, you get fed creatively. For me, I get fed creatively, but creating in that moment. Right. And one of the things about because you've direct, have you directed a one person show? Yes. Yes, I I remember. I directed you, my friend Brendan's one person show. Uh-huh. I've helped out a few people, and then. And then obviously I directed Epitaph, Adrian and Ethan's show. That's what, that's it, that's it, that's it. That's what I saw. Um, and I remember that. Because there's something about, and that was written, right? Yeah. Yeah, I saw that at I.O. So when I'm directing, because I just directed my friend uh, Allison Royer. I directed her one-person show. Everything is literally terrible all the time. Awesome title. And I, and I would sit, I sit and I watch what I directed, and she gets a laugh from a line, and I sit back and go, it's my line. 
Oh, yeah, I you wrote do, that yeah. Line. You know what I mean? And when you're a Second City main stage director, the audience is losing it, and later on, their laughter, and later on, you go, you are so funny. That one scene where you go, I go, and I think, I wrote that line. That was my line. And how gratifying that is. That's really gratifying to me. It is gratifying. When you write something and people laugh at it, it's very gratifying. Yes. And I love that I'm not in front of the camera. I love it. I love that when actors, that collaboration of I wrote this and then they take that and they do it either as funny as I pictured it or funnier, they find a way to make it even better is the best. Like I love that collaboration. And as a director too, working with them and... And, you know, you give them that, that direction that sort of helps get them. They're not quite getting to a line. And you give them something, even if it's just like, I'm going to have them walk and stop at the door and say it just to help them for whatever that is. And then it really works. It's the best. You do it. For, you show them. Is that what you're saying? No, but what like mean? sometimes you have a, a, an actor will have an instinct on something. And you'll go, well, why don't you stop at the door and then say the line? Got it. And then they'll stop at the door and now it's funnier. Right. Right. And the mystery of why that's funny, I love so much. I just always like, why was that funnier? And I also, my latest thing that I'm kind of obsessed with, I think, is when I pitch something that I don't think is funny and everybody laughs. And I go, I don't think that's funny. I don't know why I pitched it. Because I shouldn't have. Because I don't want to put it in the script. Right. And everyone goes, you're insane. That's funny. It's going in the script. And I think... It's a very strange thing to go with, put something in that you don't think is funny, but other people do. Because there's all sorts of things on television I don't think are funny. Right. But other people do. Right. That are very successful. Right. So now my new thing is, should I be doing more stuff that I don't think is funny? Maybe I would be more successful. (laughs) (laughs) It's that idea of putting a governor on yourself to do what it is that isn't yourself. To do what it is to go, I'm not going to be myself for a moment here and just see what that's like. I can't do that. I just can't do that. I, you know, it, it's impossible for us to do that. It's, it is sort of impossible. But it is also a little bit, that's what writing on episodic television is. When you have to write on staff, you're jumping into somebody else's characters and into somebody else's you know, rhythm. And you got to figure out how to pitch within that and write within that. And right. that is a really hard skill to learn how to do. And there's some people that are just geniuses at it. And they're so good at it that I think that they have lost their way of how to write their own thing. Got it. Like, there are a lot of different skills involved in all of this. And I think that it's a really interesting. There are great writers that don't ever develop their own shows. Mm-hmm. They don't want to. I think they don't want to. I think they're happy to be writing somebody else's characters. Right. They're happy to immerse themselves in this other show. And their voice comes through these characters in that way. And they're content with that. And there are other people that have such a unique voice that they cannot jump into somebody else's characters no matter what. And are they necessarily, are they not necessarily team players or? No, I just think that that's how they, they don't, they can't express themselves. Like, just like there are great improvisers that aren't good actors. Yes. It's a similar thing. Like, yes. they're genius improvisers, but when it comes to trying to step into the skin of a character that is written or, or by somebody else and they have to go in and read lines, that is not the right fit for them. Uh-huh. They can't, that is not the place that they express themselves comfortably. And so I think it's a similar thing, and that, that there are some writers, you know, and there's obviously writers that are fluid in both ways, just like there are actors that are fluid in both ways. I love the creative process. You know, everything that you're saying right now, I'm going, oh, I know that person, I know that person, I know that person. I know, I, know I wasn't going to name names, but we do know some of these yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it's also one of these things where these guys are great improvisers, but they're horrible improv teachers. Uh, oh, self-admittedly yeah. where they're going I couldn't I know it's like oh really alright that's fine that's fine 
Ian Gomez, great, really, at one time a good improviser. I don't think he'd call himself that now because he doesn't do it anymore. But he admittedly said, I should never be in front of a group of students teaching. I just should not do it. And he said that to me a number of times. Really? Uh, but I get it. I totally get it. Because it's also, if you aren't getting nachas out of that, it was a Yiddish word meaning joy, like seeing your kid play hockey, yeah. you know, um, and going, oh my God, look at that. He's on skates and he's skating. And there's this nachas. If you're not getting that self-joy out of it, then there's no reason to do it. Don't force yourself to do it. And I think so many people that come out here go, my career has to be this. And why am I miserable every day and waking up and where's my bird to bird to bird? And I think... You just haven't let yourself expose yourself to the self that you're supposed to be here. That's right. That's completely right. I think that's right. I think being, what you just said is really, it is hard to be who you are. And it is even harder to be who you are when you're 23 years old. It is a lot easier to be who you are as you get older because all that other shit whittles away. You just get too tired for all of it. <laughs> <laughs> and it just chisels away and all the bullshit starts to, to fall away with yep. everything else that falls off you. The bullshit also falls. <laughs> right, exactly. The stuff that falls off of you and the stuff that also gets on you too, you know, the barnacles of, of all, those, all those things. Get off my lawn. Um, it does, and at 23, man, you still, uh, it's very hard to, to be who you are and to know who you are because there's so much other shit and to be, swimming around And it. to be out here at 23. Yes. You know, to be out here at 23. There's no way. There's no way I could have been out here at 23. I was 24 when I moved here. And I... To write? Well, I didn't know what I was going to do. I just moved out here because I, my parents were like, here's a used typewriter. Good luck with whatever is going to happen to you, but we're not footing the bill anymore. Got it. It's so interesting that they gave you this typewriter because it made me think... My dad was do, in the typewriter business. No! Mm-hmm. He sold... He had an office machines business, so that was the thing. I think it was because it was like, here, you're going to use this. I wasn't even a writer. I didn't want to be a writer. Right. I had no illusions of being a writer. Had not, that was not even in my... Uh, to be, but, but it was a typewriter. That does tell you how old Well, I also want to say, just in regards to, to a typewriter, it's sort of like when I graduated, when I graduated, I have a degree in photojournalism. Oh. And I was a photojournalist. I was an actor, and then I went to college and became a photojournalist. And I was a photojournalist for a while. I worked for the Tribune, the Sun-Times. Oh, you know, I was wow. A, you know, so I did freelance stuff. And, uh, and then I couldn't get a job as a photojournalist, uh, and so I worked in the camera store. Which is sort of like, and I, I call it the equivalent of writers working at an office supply store. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, but you came out here with a typewriter. Going back to the typewriter. I have two typewriters in this apartment. You do? Yeah. There's we have one, one right there. Take a look at that one over there. Do you see it's on the second shelf? Oh, yeah, yeah that's a nice a, one. Yeah, and then I have one oh, over here. Oh, typewriters and baseballs. Two of my yeah, yeah, things. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the yeah. Back there, the little royal. Um, but anyway, let's go back. So you, so... <laughs> you came out here. So I didn't your, have anything. I had, your, a, I had a Subaru with 180,000 miles on uh-huh. it. What made you come out here? Well, it was New Yorker here. I was kind of done in Chicago. Even though I had do? a lot of friends there. I, I, I couldn't find out anything that you did in Chicago. What did you do in Chicago? I didn't. I graduated from Northwestern and I moved out here. That's right. You went to Northwestern. I went to got Northwestern. It. Who did so, you go to school with that I know? Uh... If they're at the same time I was there, I don't know who, I, who, who you might know. Rachel Hamilton, was she there then? Yep, she was not, she was younger than me. Do you know J.P. Manu? Yeah. He was there when I was there? Mm-hmm. And then all kinds of other people, but I'm trying to think of who crosses okay, that's over. Fine. That's fine, 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 fine. So I was there with did... John Lear. 
Got it. So the whole Ed group, right? Jim Denon and one of my closest friends, John Lear, all those guys, Melanie. Hutzel. Yeah. Uh, uh, hoops, yes. Hoops, pardon me. Hoops. Yes. Yeah, Melanie Hoops. Those guys were all yeah. pals of mine. Yeah. I love John, and I love Melanie, too. There's a great mind. New York. She's you know married to Ed Herbst. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. They're amazing. She's got a great mind. She's amazing. But anyway, the the the, I moved out here and I didn't have anything. But I moved out here because I didn't want to bartend anymore. And I mm-hmm. thought I need to go someplace where I can make money figuring out if I'm going to get into show business. So I guess I should go to L.A. where I could conceivably get into show business and figure out what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'd like to direct, but no one's going to let me figure that out. So I have to, in terms of like, I got to make money. Nobody's and going I didn't to give wanna, that job to you. What you right. I mean, I didn't want to wait tables anymore. Right. Or right. that. So I said, I'll go out there and see if I can get a job. And I did. And I worked as an assistant. And then I, for a bunch of people, and then I wrote a play and directed it. And it's, you know, then I got an agent and I got a movie deal at Universal and it sort of all took off from there. Okay. But you came out here kind of open to, it wasn't a specific thing. No. You said, I want to direct, but you also went in and go, okay, this is, I could do, I'm going to do that. I'm, this offer has been given to me. I'm going to do that. I'm yeah. I'm going to lean in towards that. I also had to work. And that's another big thing that I, I cannot tell you as a parent, like, Owen will not be getting any money after graduation from me. Because I think that that, net, that need to support yourself has always been a big drive for me. Mm-hmm. I've right. taken great pride in not ever borrowing money from my parents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was a big point of pride for me, and I think it gave me a lot of drive where I think other people who've had that cushion... They don't know how to do it. It's a little different because you just... you When you, when you have to... You know, there are compromises and sacrifices. Would I have been the greatest playwright of our generation? Obviously, probably. <laughs> well, it's still... You still <laughs> will. Right. Sure. <laughs> 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 but keep going. But instead, I write to Right, right, right. Because I had to make money and still do the States. Like, sure. look, I got to make money. And I would love to. Nothing, my dream, Adrian, I tell you that, our dream is to live in the West End. Yes. And to write and direct plays. That is what my dream would be, is to live in London and write direct plays. There's nothing in the world would make me happier, I think. Well, it's good to have that, that vision. As I'm saying, that have. I think. Right. Now, I say that because it's this fantasy that we talk about. Would it actually make me happier than what my current life is, which is pretty good? I get it. I, I totally understand Maybe not. It. I look at a lot of things that I have right now, and again, it's replacing ambition with gratefulness, the idea of what do I want to do? What If somebody says, is you going to do this right now? It's like, all right, this is what I'd like to do. I want to live in the village in a big apartment, and I want to be doing what I'm doing there. And then I think, it's really cold there. <laughs> and it's hard to park. You can't it's have a car really there. hard to park. You can't have a car Super, there. No. And even if I had a place to park, where are you going to park when you come over? Oh, yeah, it's terrible. You know? And it's like, and then I think, okay, uh, they don't have pavilions. I go to pavilions. They may have Trader Joe's, but... It's far. If they it's do, far. it's far. It's far. And how are you going to get the groceries back? Exactly. <laughs> right. And you got to hail a cab when it's raining. You can't get a cab. Like, fuck all that. That's so terrible. I look back and I go, okay, you know what? Not only am I happy here, I'm going to stay here. Yeah, that's how I and I and I do the same thing. And I I like oh I'd love to live in Chicago, which actually I'm fine with the cold. I'm fine with all of that. But I sit there and go, yeah, the West End of London, blah blah. I don't know though. Like, would that make me happy? Because my life's really good now, and I have to tell you that I'm pretty fucking happy as a person every day. That doesn't mean I'm stressed or have this or have that, but 
my days are super full and I am I don't have enough time in every day to do everything I want to do like by a long shot I don't have enough time and I like I'm like super happy so I go well how much better does it really get than this I think that that word better is such an interesting word and I think that we got to listen to it when we hear better and I, I get I totally agree with you on all those points and I'm just looking at it going what a weird word better is because better is just such a comparison word to what it is that we have right now and yeah, the that's idea all of, it is yeah it, it, it's what it is and I go better how much better could it be I have no idea how much it's, it's what a waste of time to even think about that because it's I can't know that for sure so as long as I can't know that for sure what is it that I do know for sure I do know for sure that I am that present word happy now right and you go, okay, your day is full. Your, your day is full of doing things that inspire you and doing things that, 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 you know, taking care of your kids, taking care of your family, being creative, laughing, driving to places, going shopping, all that shit. You're doing all those things and you're happy. And at the end of the day, you go, I have stuff to do tomorrow. Yeah. And, you know, I get to do, I do, I sort of walk through that now like, okay, well, so I'm directing a pilot, and I'm writing a pilot, not the same one, for NBC, and I'm directing a pilot that shoots in April. And, uh, you know, my kid's healthy right. and awesome. Right. And he wants to pit. He's doing pitching in Little League, which is the best. And uh, I shot an 83 at LA Country Club yesterday, and <laughs> my best friends live, you know, one of my best friends lived in the guest house. It doesn't really get better. <laughs> You know, like, what is that thing that I go, oh, my dream is London. I mean, even now that I say that, I go, what is that dream? Like, so that I get, like, I'm with the Brits, which I guess would be great. London's beautiful. I love it. I love it it's there. there. It's there. It's going to be there. And, uh, and I go, but what is that day to day? Is it really any better? Like, where does that lead? So I win a, let's just say, let's just say I win a Pulitzer. Or a Tony. For that, because you're the greatest playwright ever. Because I'm the greatest player of our generation. Of our generation, I'm, I'm not yeah. hoggy about no, it. No, 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 I'm not no, saying, no. I'm just of our generation. Yes, okay, good, okay, good. And? Because right. that also means, like, when the new generation comes in, you go, you go, kids. Exactly, and I'm not saying I'm better than, like, Albie or... No, well, or, he's not your generation. Right, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying yeah. just yeah. this one. Yes. And, uh... So say you win the Pulitzer. So let's just say... Which I don't know if they even have a banquet. I don't know what they have. They must have a banquet. You it's say. not like something where you go, you get an email, and then later on, FedEx delivers your Pulitzer. But it might. I don't know what happens. But my guess is there's a banquet. There's got to be a ball. There has to be a ball. I don't know. I may even just be a luncheon. It might just be a luncheon, and this is my, where I'm going. So well, let's I'm just, just I'm sorry, say I'm just it's a luncheon. Go, I'm going to the ball luncheon, the Pulitzer luncheon ball. Oh, okay. So there's a ball luncheon. But let's I'm, just say. Okay, fine. Uh, okay, so you get, you know, it's a, it's a free dinner or lunch. You it's get a couple a cocktails. People are going to say nice things about you. You're going to get an award. And then that's, okay, so then what? Right. right. I mean, is that really any better than, better, whatever that word is, than, for me, that all sounds fine, but also great is like hanging out with Neil Flynn and Adrian and, Mike Bunin on my back patio. Bunin. You know. Yeah. Smoking a little. Yeah. And 
Yeah. Having and some drinks and laughing. Like, and I know that sounds like a ridiculous comparison, but I go like, what is the quality of that moment? And then therefore, what am I really seeking? Am I seeking approval? Is that what that, is that, what that is? Ego gratification? Is that, is that what, what that is? is? Yeah. Because in it, terms of pure enjoyment of what is better, I'd rather be in my slippers. Look at me. I know. Okay, let's stop there, because I'm wearing slippers. Thank you. That, Dave, it was so fun. Well, a couple things that I learned. I learned that I am indeed a doctor. I also learned that if you're going to go to Ireland, you better have a bunch of great people with you or just go to Ireland by yourself because what an awesome place. <laughs> ADD Comedy with Dave Rizowski. Thanks. Betsy Thomas for being our guest. Oh, she drove all the way over to Larchmont Village. Uh, I want to thank Ian Foley, our producer, Laura Parker, co-production, technical assistance. I want to thank my dear friend, musician extraordinaire, Al Rose, for our theme song, I Feel Like a Million Dollars, from Al's album, Sad Go Lucky. Uh, you can see Al over at the Kopi Cafe in Chicago on Clark Street, where um, his wife and my dear friend, Rhonda Wellbell, they run a great joint and have a great cup of coffee and great booze over there. I want to thank you, our listeners. If you liked our show, give us a positive note on iTunes, won't you? If you're interested in having me at your theater, improv school, corporate event, please visit DaveRazowski.com. Thanks, and we'll hear you in our ears.